Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. I'm here with Mike Darlington, hey. Monster Cat. <laughs> So you were born in Canada. Was yeah. it was it Vancouver or? No, I grew up in uh, Mississauga, which is like just outside of Toronto. Yeah. Were, yeah. You, were your parents from there as well, or? Uh, they've they lived in different parts around Canada. Most of their time was spent in Ontario. What was it like growing for you growing up in that environment over there, for the scene and everything? Well, as a kid, like. There wasn't. I didn't really even know there was a scene. Mm -hmm. um, but getting into like my teenage years, my college years, that's when I kind of first started discovering dance music and and kind of dabbling here and there. Um, it was interesting though because I think it was like very college market driven, at least in the areas that I knew in Ontario, uh, where like dance music was really starting to bubble in the early days. So it was like the young and like when I'm talking about dance music in the early days, I'm not talking about like kind of the stuff that really built our scene, but I'm talking about like 2011, 2012, where I think it started to cross over a bit more into like more general mainstream. That happened in Ontario really strongly in the college markets. It's like Waterloo and London and Guelph. So I don't know, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting seeing uh, it go from like years before where everybody was only listening to like hip hop and like punk rock and crossing over to suddenly like uh, electronic music was everywhere. What kind of music were your parents playing in the house when you were growing up? <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. I didn't grow up in a, like, a crazy musical, like, musical family. Um, I'd say it was just like radio, holiday tunes during the holidays. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't come from a music background. Yeah, what did your parents do then? Uh, my dad is a microbiologist and he worked in uh, pharmaceuticals and he worked in um, medical modeling. My mom has a master's of English, and uh, she worked in advertising. Where do you think you got your like music sense from? I don't even know if I would say I have a music sense. I've got a passion. I wouldn't say that like I'm not going to walk into a studio and be the best A&R in the studio, but I've always had a passion for what we do and an energy towards it. I think my strength is always in understanding branding and marketing, mm. community, and I think those, especially in the modern age of the music industry, those are those are extremely important things to know. I'm not going to say they're more important than music, because they're not, but it's important. Well, do you remember the first CD you bought? <laughs> uh, I think it was like an Eminem CD. Yeah. Which is probably the first CD that like, a lot of people bought. You were more into like rap and hip-hop during that time? Yeah, growing up. like That was probably when I was like 12 to 15. I was listening to like that in punk rock. And, Blink-182 was like one of my favorite bands at the time. Did you do instruments growing up? No, I think I played like, I think I played saxophone a bit when I was in grade school, but never really got into music on that, on that side of it. Mm -hmm. How do you describe yourself back then growing up? <laughs> Loser. <laughs> <laughs> Stairwell kid. No, I, I don't know. I had my like tight group of friends, but by, I, by no means was I popular. Were you into school though? No, I was never into school. Even in college, I wasn't into school. Um, I don't know. I was more into video games mm. and like chilling with like my. I had like a group of like five friends, and 
we spent every day together. What kind of video games were you playing at that point? Uh, I played everything growing up. Uh, all the Nintendo, like, A-list titles. Were you competitive? Yeah, definitely. Not, like, competitive as in, like, I'm playing, like, pro <laughs> esports by any means. <laughs> but I definitely... I was rarely beaten by people. Like, I'd oh, go wow. into, like, parties, and they would have their games out, and I'd be like, nobody can touch me at these. Whoa. So. What did your parents think of it? You are just, like, gaming all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't love it. Again, they were more... They were pretty focused on, uh, on my education. I went to a private school, so, like, that was pretty intense. Um, but, you know, gaming was, like, an escape for me. It was a way for me to, like, meet people online and talk to people. I feel like at one point I had... 10 times the amount of friends online than I did oh. in real life. Yeah, no, it was it was a large part of my life. It still is, actually. What were your, like, favorite subjects back then? Favorite subjects were any subject that I found to be easy that I didn't have to put too much time into. It's mm -hmm. so, like sciences were really easy for me. It's genetics. Um, yeah, English was something I was, like, pretty good at. Um, anything mem with, like, high memorization I did pretty well at. Struggled with maths. Um, struggled with some chemistry. I think it involved a lot of math. But yeah, no, anything that just kind of was able to get done quickly. School wasn't like a, a focus for myself mm -hmm. at all. Why did you just decide to study biology? I think when you're a kid and you're just trying to like figure your life out, you don't really know. Like, it, and it's even if you sit down, you're like, okay, I'm gonna figure this shit out. You never do figure it out. So biology to me was something that like. Nature was always really important to me. It was something my dad had studied. Like, it just kind of clicked. I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do that. I could be a biologist. But I didn't know what the implications to that meant. I didn't really have a plan. I just knew that, like, okay, this feels right. Do you think if, if you weren't doing, like, Monster Cat, you'd be doing something in the biology field? Yeah, I always wanted to get into um, environmental consulting. So, like, I'd work with, like, mega corporations to help kind of clean up what they do. And especially as a... They started offering a lot of government incentives and tax credits to like, multi, like major or, or corporations. That started to become more of a reality that you can make a lot of money doing this and it can be, like, you can have a full career in it. So yeah, I think I would end up doing that if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now. What about that did you find exciting? It was a new industry. It was something that I felt like I already had like a, a knack for entrepreneurship and, and doing deals and like finding people to work with so I just felt that it was something I could do and do well. Yeah. Was it like World of Warcraft that you were buying and selling stuff? Oh yeah, you read about that. Um, so yeah, I paid off my university tuition, at least in part, and uh, like all of my partying habits and, and paintball and all the other sports stuff, or sorry, not sports stuff, like hobby stuff I did by, I created a website that let people like buy and sell World of Warcraft accounts and then I would take like a, a cut from like the middle as like a like I was like the middleman to these transactions um, and then at the same time I'd be like finding like cheap accounts and, and selling them to other people as well this, it was like a yeah. fun little project was this your first kind of like business or like getting into entrepreneurship it was the first time I'd made yeah. like significant money oh wow um, and then from there I, I used that money to start throwing parties and events so yeah it's kind of weird how little side project kind of actually in some ways allowed me to get into the music industry. Did you like throwing like parties and events? I liked it like when you're in when you're in university it's like the cool thing to do is to go to the parties and then you're like oh I, I can do this myself and then throw the parties and all right, go to the party sell the tickets for somebody else and then throw your own party it's like yeah. a natural kind of 
transition. And then were you doing some like app work after? Um, you know, I did work for a, a startup. It was an application development company. So I was like kind of like doing parties and like working the day job. But that was in between like semesters of school. So I had a co-op program. Oh. Yeah. And then how long were you working other jobs before you started the Monster Cut? No, that was really the only like real job I've ever had. Like I worked as like a sailing instructor and as a lifeguard and stuff like that as a teenager. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really have a like a true proper job up until that point. At that point, were you like living with your parents, or how were you able to like the initial startup of like Monster Cut? How did you have like the financials for that? Well, the initial startup was like pretty bootstrapped. There wasn't really any cost associated to it. It was just like time. Yeah. That was the biggest cost. It was just how much time can you put into it. But realistically, other than maybe like $500 logo design, like maybe a couple thousand dollar domain purchase, like there wasn't really anything that crazy that was an expense in the early days. How about living? Living, I, again, part of it was paid off from like side hustles, like mm -hmm. the, the events projects and sponsorship stuff. Like I still had some money left over from the World of Warcraft business I'd run. I, I don't know, I never really, I never really had a struggle with money, fortunately. Mm -hmm. How did you meet Ari? Ari I met through, uh, actually the guy that I started my first events company with, Ari was his best friend uh, in London, Ontario. So we met and then became really good friends just through school and through partying. And it kind of like naturally came together. How did it, were you both like thinking of coming up with it at the same time or did you like pitch the idea to him? Or like how did it come into fruition? Well, I was working on the project with some people, like, online, and it was starting to take off, and I started to realize, like, man, I'm paying people with, like, some shitty Excel spreadsheet I made, and I'm, like, rounding numbers up because it's easier to round them <laughs> up, and, like, it just wasn't really official, and Ari had already run a business. Um, he basically had sold, like, bike parts in Canada. He was, like, one of the early online retailers for bike parts, so I knew he knew what it took to put together a business and, and actually do like financials and accounting properly. So I offered him to like bring him onto the project and he actually said no at first. He was like, oh man, I'm working on something else. I, th I think he was getting into like the parking game or something. Like he was gonna, he was trying to work on like an app for reserving parking, like parking oh. lots. Um, cool. But he ended up coming, like as it kept growing, he ended up coming up on, uh, coming on board. So it worked out in the end. Yeah. And for like the idea stuff, what was the main turning point that you decided to start it? It just kind of came together like pretty naturally. It wasn't there wasn't some crazy idea at the beginning that led to where we were at. But did um, you know people in like the music industry or? No, like... I knew nothing. <laughs> I knew nothing about the music industry. I still don't know a ton about the music industry. <laughs> yeah, it's just me and a bunch of artists that we ended up actually meeting through playing video games, like playing like Counter Strike and Dota, and. Uh, I guess the, the idea came from the fact that these guys individually weren't getting a ton of plays on their records, but I knew like if we combined all of them together and they kind of pushed each record together, that would actually be a considerable amount of plays per record. Uh, and like brands like UKF and Mr. Suicide Sheep at that time were starting to like pop off on YouTube, so it kind of just made sense as a, as a place to, to try to do this. Uh, I don't even think we were using SoundCloud when we first started. I actually think we were using like Groove Shark or something oh, like that. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, there was like another platform that was like more piracy focused. 
Yeah. I can't remember. I think it was Groove Shark. I don't remember. Did you have experience before then social media or like promotions? Yeah. So the the app company I worked for, uh, I was doing digital marketing for, um, and they taught me a lot about influencer marketing, which became like a really core part of the development of our business. Was uh yeah distribution of content yeah. via influencers. How did you get your releases out there initially? Uh, you know, I'd say influencer marketing was the strongest part. Um, that's kind of one by one made relationships with people. Actually, a lot of those people are still like very close friends of mine. I've been hanging with them while I've been in LA, uh, especially in the gaming space. Yeah, a guy named Jericho, actually. He was like one of the, the first like really early supporters. Uh, another guy named Captain Sparkles. He runs like a Minecraft channel. Like those type of people, just because they wanted music for their videos and they wanted to, I guess, wanted to support, they would like promote our music and promote our releases and it kind of just snowball effect and more and more people started getting involved in the promotion. Was Corella one of the first releases you had or? Corella was, I don't think they were the first, by far they weren't the first, but they were, they were pretty early. I'd say it was probably like maybe six months in, maybe a bit late, like longer than that. I can't remember the exact date on it. Um, I just remember like, the phone, like how it came to be, the fru how it came to fruition, like that was the part that kind of sticks in my memory, not the not the date of when it came out. Mm -hmm. When I first started talking to their management, they were they were definitely on the upswing. Like you would see a like promotion around them on all the blogs, and they just like they had a buzz around them, which was which was new to us because usually we were working with like real underground like bedroom producers. Um, so to watch them go from you know what like putting out a single with us, a couple tracks actually, to then headlining festivals was like surreal and I learned so much about how the industry works and, and all the contacts that I gained in the early days came from Jake Udell and his team um, supporting us yeah and that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't worked on that first record together yeah actually other than that did you have like other mentors who were looking up or some guidance in the industry initially <clears throat> uh you know what I'd say uh Rob Wu he's an agent at Spin he was like a really early mentor to, to Monster Cat, like in Toronto, actually. Uh, I'm trying to think of the people in Toronto who were like really supportive. Uh, and David Brady that he works with. Um, Ryan Henderson, uh, who was a club owner and now manages Cascade. Yeah, there were some people that, that taught me a, a bit in the early days. But generally, my biggest mentors were my like close friends that were all kind of coming up together mm -hmm. around the same time. How did Rocket League come about? That came through one of our co-workers. I think he casually met some of the guys from Rocket League um, at one of the conventions. Probably partying for all I know. Like these conventions, everyone just kind of hangs out. Uh, and you know, we, we were huge fans of the game. We still play way too much. Um, yeah, and it was a pretty natural thing. They wanted to add more music to the game and continue to expand. And we loved the game, so it just made sense to us. And our artists all played as well. How did the podcast come about? Podcast, okay. Podcast was interesting because we did a, a mix competition um, and I met, I met the guy who was now like the, the whole like brainchild to the, to the radio show. Um, but I think one of the driving forces for us to do the, the radio show was uh, me and Ari religiously listened to the Gareth Emery podcast. Um, when we were like rave kids back in the day. So I think that was like a driving force. I'm like, oh man, like this, this show is so sweet. and It's such a mix of genres and it wasn't just a trance podcast. And like, I just wanted to have something like that. So it just kind of grew over time. Um, 
and Dan from our team has been the one who's evolved it and made it what it is today. What was the decision to um, go on tour in China? Was that How many tours have you done before that one? We've done a couple tours. Yeah. Um, China was a... China and Asia to us right now is an interesting one because it's it's such an emerging market and in the past we weren't strong enough as a, as a brand and as a company to position ourselves the way we've been able to position ourselves in China as like a that's like the premier brand so it's been it's been really amazing and the, you know the Chinese promoters we've worked with have been so respectful and they've taken such good care of us that We've already done two tours in China. Oh, We've already wow. got another tour about to it's about to launch. Like we just it's becoming we're gonna end up doing more shows in China this year than probably the rest of the globe combined. How do you actually even get your releases out there with the wall? Uh, we've had to do some pretty creative deals. Um, working with uh, Tungcent and with Netties um, on their platforms. But it's it's actually interesting because all of our content had already like it was always available um, through these like three different platforms. So people were discovering our music and our artists without us really knowing much about oh, it. Oh wow! Um, so once we we kind of inked our first deals and and figured out our first uh, tour strategies, it was like wow, there's already this pretty strong fan base out here like that knew about us and they were like coming out dressed in like all they're all decked in Monster Cat gear and like wearing like little cat ear headbands and stuff, like things I'd actually never seen before in the rest of the world that was occurring in China. So no, it's been really interesting and I'm, I'm super excited to, to keep doing more there. What kind, which countries would you say are like emerging that you're focusing on now, like after the success in China? A lot of the Asian territories are like a, a major focus for us. Um, South America is becoming a major focus for us. Of course, North America and Europe and Australia, we've, we've always had some brand success and brand growth there, so we're continuing to, to bolster that. Um, but yeah, diff different parts of South America and Asia, absolutely our focus. In Asia, it's like Indonesia, Japan, um, where else are we kind of get to do shows at the moment? Singapore, Taiwan, like... Jakarta, or which is Indonesia, yeah, just yeah. a lot of different places over there. And in terms of like getting into these certain markets, what type of strategy do you have for like promotions? It's different in every market. Every market is very, very different over there. Um, budgets are very different at each market. There's different platforms, different promoters. It's there's no one set strategy, which means you kind of gotta you have to be really flexible. Um, you have to realize that. You're working on a completely different time zone with people that you have to be really respectful and understand that you know they're trying their best to speak your language, but there's going to always be disconnects that happen, and there's no way we can speak any of the languages. So it kind of <laughs> 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 we're doing our best. How long ago have you? When did you start putting out merch? It's a while ago now, right? Yeah, we've been doing merch from like pretty much day one, but I'd say in the last two years, it's become more of a clothing line than just like screen printed logos. Mm -hmm. It's still, it's still not where, quite where I want it to be yet in terms of, like I have, we have this like real vision for the clothing that me, each piece is going to be a lot more thought out and a lot more unique um, from a kind of manufacturing standpoint. Uh, that's taken a lot longer than I'd hoped to, to get to that point, but we are working towards it. It's like you, you, do, you ever realize that just how much goes on behind the scenes in the in the clothing industry, in the fashion industry, 
um, especially financially, it's it's extremely difficult. So I really feel for clothing, like up and coming clothing companies. They've done an amazing job to get to where they are. What was your decision to start merch like so early on, like before you, or like was it within the year or like how soon? Yeah, probably in a year. Uh, it always comes down to like what do the artists want and how do we want our brand to be perceived and that all usually those two things usually lead to any decision we make in any project we do what was the decision to start the tastemaker campaign hmm that one was an interesting one uh you know we're a very community driven company and community driven brand so we wanted to involve our community more in the the decision making around our releases and the artists and I still think that we're I think we just haven't figured out the right strategy yet to encompass that. We've tried a couple different tribes, tried tastemaker strategies, we tried like a, a program we called MonsterCut VIP which is like a voting platform but still haven't kind of found the, the right balance between our taste and our vision and the community involvement and making everybody feel like they're actually a part of this versus like the overarching overlords who make all decisions. We haven't got to that point yet. So we definitely keep good touch with all of our tastemakers, but I know we can still involve people better than we do now. Like right now, it's a lot of focus on our own internal A&R um, versus kind of crowdsourcing it, I guess you could say. Yeah. How do you pick the people that you crowdsource A&Rs? It's always about, a lot of it comes down to passion. It's like, how are they really in the industry? Are they... Are they searching for more? Are they hungry? Do they understand what makes a, a good record over another record? It's, there's no one set kind of strategy. Um, and you know what, there's, there's people out there who know nothing about music, the music side, like in terms of production, in terms of songwriting. Like maybe my background isn't in that, but you know, I used to go to nightclubs and parties three times a week. So at that point, like I, I had an understanding of what I enjoyed and why I enjoyed it. So I understand the fundamentals. So that those people are just as valuable as ones who say can they are producers themselves and can pick apart every detail of a, tra of a track. But you know, I think I'm actually grateful that I don't go to a show and turn to my friend and complain about the snare in the track. Oh. Like, and I see that happen with artists. At that point, you're not enjoying the music for the music. You're you're kind of overanalyzing. Mm -hmm. What was the decision for all the charity things you do, like the sweaters, homeless people, or like even the games for the hospitals? Everybody should give back in some ways. You know, we're very fortunate. We've had a lot of success, and if anything, I think we could be doing more. I think you're going to see a common trend to almost every question you ask. It's going to be a positive answer, followed by the struggles I've had with it and wanting to make it better. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a single question where I'm going to be like, yeah, we fucking crushed it. We're the best. No, it's never like that, which I don't know, sometimes I kind of wish it was, but <laughs> we're always trying to improve, always trying to be better. What plans do you have for the charity aspects? Hmm. I actually wouldn't be the best person to ask that question because I have somebody on the team who kind of leads those projects and works with our, our content team. Um, and she's got pretty much free reign on it, so working with our the other members of the team. So I, I don't really have a lot to speak on that matter, but I know that there are things kind of going on right now. With the like 45 people you have now, what are positions are there? How do you like section out the company now? Yeah, so it's 12 divisions, and I actually always forget one or two when <laughs> when I have to answer this question for people. Um, but there's operations, there's marketing. There's merchandising, live events, gaming, 
music, publishing, management. <laughs> okay, cool, I got eight now. <laughs> uh, d design, nine. I got a picture of the office, but I like where people sit. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if accounting, we've, we've got that separated out at the moment, but accounting's one. Uh, I'm sure there's something else, but it's not coming to me right yeah. now. What <laughs> it's is a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> what is, like, the changes in your role as a company from being just the first person to, like, starting to learn all these managing skills with 45 people and all their stuff? I think it's about... Like the the strongest thing I've learned is that you got to learn what you're good at and what you're not good at, and build around that aspect. And like for me, I've always tried to at least have a general understanding of how it, how something works and how a division works. But at the end of the day, there's people that are out there that are a lot stronger than me at this. Um, so I think I've always focused down on understanding our community, understanding our brand, understanding like what what trends and trajectories are going on within the industry so that I can bring back that information to help the team leads make better decisions. Um, I generally try to be somebody that people can talk to and I'm try, try to be open to everybody. I know that sometimes I struggle at that, but yeah, no, it's, it's just finding what you're good at and, and focusing on that. Is it difficult transitioning and like having more and more people work under you and delegation and everything? It's just stuff you have to get used to. Like I've had times where, as I had felt like anxiety because I'm like I'm giving up so much control and projects I used to do myself to somebody else. But you have to be comfortable with that at some point. Um, and that's actually the only way you get your life back. Like the early days of Monster Guy, you don't have a life. Any startup, you don't have a life in the early days. You start to lose friends. You don't go out anymore. Like <laughs> nothing happens. Like so you need to build around you and find people that you trust and put the trust back into them so that you can start picking back out the pieces to like, okay, this is my life and Monster Cat's a part of it, but I still am a human at the same time. And I know for a fact at one point it wasn't that way. <laughs> and then with the three trucks, we, uh, how did you like come up with that number? And now, now we're up to four. four. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of that came from understanding of YouTube and understanding of social marketing. So YouTube's a platform that really favors consistency, really favors active content that's that's usually comes out around the same time and you get the same group of people supporting it that causes a real general growth um, backed by the platform so I knew if we launched from day one only doing one track a week we wouldn't be able to grow within the platform and we needed a couple pieces of content a week at least so in the early days three a week was a struggle we didn't have the artists we didn't really have the resources to work on it and it took up until probably two or three years ago to the point where like I could really, we could, we could give each record the attention that that specific record deserved, um, which led to us creating different marketing strategies and different release strategies to be able to handle it. But now the team's at a point where I'm more comfortable, but I still see that there's ways for us to further grow our marketing division, um, especially now we have the Uncaged and Instinct brands. I, I want to get to a point where I've got like a separate and strong team within each instead of a team currently working on both sides. I want to have an ecosystem that makes sense from like the clothing to the music to the events to the artists to the, the, the focus and the attention we give each release and the media partners we work with. Like all those things need to be more in line and that's what we're working towards. That's like a big focus of this year actually. You know, we started by launching the brand and launching the project but now we have to further strengthen that project 
to get to the point where I'm like, this is the best. It's not at that point yet. It's, it's fucking dope, but it has a lot of room to improve. And that's kind of where our time right now is being put in. How, do, how would you describe like that brand? The Uncaged brand is, is more of our aggressive live event music, internet, like video game music, um, a lot of bass music, which then like you, when you think about what that kind of, how that th is themed towards like clothing and events, you're talking about on the event side, more of like the, the nightclub events, late night events, festivals, clothing, you're thinking more on the streetwear side. Mm. So it's like, a it makes, it makes sense for the, the type of show and the type of environment these things are in, the type of music you're listening to. Whereas the instinct is more melodic, it's, it's pop crossover, the clothing's more like in the cut and sew side, it's a little bit more, I guess you could say refined. Like now I feel like more and more people want to be like no genre, but then that's kind of like putting out into two specific things. Has that been like a thought of yours? Well, it is, there still is no genre though, because you know what, at the end of the day, Think of like a drum and bass record. You can have like a, a beautiful liquid drum and bass record with a, a great top line on it. And then you can have like harder drum and bass records or like jump up records or I don't know, even neuro. Like there are, there's other sides to a genre. So I'm actually definitely one of the people actively who's like pretty anti-genre. I'm more pro the, the feeling, pro the, the experience um, versus the genre. Cause I think it does ruin it for people. It, like you get too tr like lost in it like is this i don't know i just i, I just don't like yeah. that aspect you actually also you took out the names in the youtube people like asked you to put it back and you said no yeah not a chance <laughs> um you know we we have the in the in the description you can find the genre you can talk to your friends to figure out the genre but like we don't have to spoon feed it especially because now artists are so adamant that they want their music to be just their music and they'll, they'll borrow elements from different genres and blend them together and hybridize them to the point where like you could really go one or the other way and then the second we stick it in the title or stick it in the video it's like half the people will agree and the other half won't agree oh, yeah. so you're just creating conflict unnecessarily when the artist is sitting there the whole time and he's the person who's like yo this doesn't have a genre like stop trying to do this to me because that limits artists because they start to get in their head they're like I'm a dubstep artist like I can only do dubstep and that's that's the most damaging thing like that's why people disappear mm -hmm. that's why they lose their creative expression or that's why they go like super generic because that's they feel like they're forced to do that mm -hmm. I hate when I hear an artist is like oh I have to launch a new brand a new project because if I I can't with my current project because like my fans only want mm. this yeah I think it's like I think a getter did was the best example of somebody who broke out of a like a like a restriction. I remember in the early days, and even in my own head, I'm like, oh, it's like a rhythm artist. And now, like, I just see him as such a creative, like, person, like, all-encompassing person that, like, that's what I want to see from people. And, like, he could have gone and, and he did, like, launch, I guess he launched his hip-hop project, but he could have gone and had to make a new thing for every type of track he would have done. But instead, he's, like, really created something pretty creative. So, I don't know. I'm really, I just, I just spent some time with his management hearing like their, their future visions for their project and oh. it's really inspiring. Like, they're great guys. Oh wow. And what year did you actually come up with the Monster Cat Manifesto? <laughs> oh man, all the years blend together. That feels like 2013, 14, something like that. I'm not yeah. sure of the date on it. It was just like a, an idea that like something I was kind of upset with within the industry. I felt like we should put a statement out to it. 
And I think the, the way we designed it and the manifesto aspect was that there was definitely an element of branding and marketing to that. But the, the, the thing that we were trying to put out there to people, that was, that was really true and that was from like our heart and how we felt. Yeah, so it was the copyright laws, right? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was copyright law. It was, it was just a mix of like how art was being treated online and, and things I just didn't, I didn't agree with back yeah. then. If it was like the perfect internet, how would you see it all happen? Like what would your goal be for the internet without all these copyright laws or if so? I guess uh, the important thing is, is not, it's not that I'm anti-copyright in any way. If anything, as we become more influential within the industry, I start to understand why decisions are made the way they are. In a perfect world, we'd find a way so that people could work with other people's content and, and, and create something entirely new from it while still properly supporting the original artist and making sure that they get paid and they're involved in the process somehow. But I think that the way that the people learn, especially in electronic music, is through things like sampling or deconstructing a track or recreating a sound. Like, where Sometimes people get so protective of these things when you don't have to be protective. You don't have to be overly protective to it. Because if anything, you're inspiring the next, the next generation of people who are gonna further grow yourself. Um, but at the same time, I want those people to get paid along the way. And I don't know if we've quite reached that point yet where it is done fairly and it isn't just theft and it isn't taking advantage of somebody's name. Like, there's got to be a middle ground to this. That I think we're still all trying to figure out what that is. How do you think you've grown as a person since when you started? Hmm, I think I've just learned a lot. <laughs> uh, I think I've become a bit more understanding, but at the same time a bit more resilient. Um, I think a lot of like the things that were, I think I've learned what my weaknesses are and how to work with them. Mm. Um, I, I do truly believe that people don't, like who you are on the inside doesn't change much ever, but how you, the decisions you make and how you do things changes as you grow up and as you learn. Um, but I'm still the same person I was back then. I still have the same fears and anxieties and weaknesses that I ever ever once did but at least now I know I know about them and I know how to work with them and I know in some ways how that's made me unique and think differently um, so it's just a, a general understanding I'd say what would you say have been your biggest challenges focus <laughs> focus will always be a challenge I just get distracted but again I think that that like kind of 80 ADD mentality like bouncing around you know, that sucks in some ways, but in other ways it's super important because it's, it's led to some different types of creative thinking and, or trying projects or taking risks that some people might be like, oh, that's a stupid idea, but if you've got the time that you want to invest in something and you, you believe in it, you kind of, you give it a shot and you do it. And you, sometimes you surprise yourself and you surprise other people. And that comes from, you have to be a certain type of person to do that. Calculated people don't take, don't make those, at the time, dumb decisions. Yeah. <laughs> what does success look like to you? Hmm, success is some freedom, for one, to be able to try different things and work with who you want to work with and build people in different ways. And once you're, when you're in that like growth stage, it's sometimes it's really difficult to be able to make investments and try different things even though you really want to. So success is now being like, cool, we can actually do that. I can go and explore and, and try different things I never once was able to do. 
and just happiness actually happiness is god that's probably the most important thing i consider to be success mm-hmm. and you know what everybody goes like i still go through phases of like, like i'm like i feel like i'm the king of the world and i go through phases where i'm like man like i just feel awful so i guess happiness is just or success is just making sure you've positioned your life and you found ways to at least try to be happy as much as possible and as often as possible yeah. last question what yeah. do you want to be remembered for <laughs> This is like the worst answer, but I just want to do dope shit. <laughs> I love that though. Like I just want to keep on trying new things and new projects, and you know, they might be music industry, they might not be music industry. Who knows? But like, I'm still young, and I still have like a lot of passion and energy. So, kind of keep on building, and hopefully, we end up in ten years from now when we're both crushing it. We're gonna do another interview or something, or <laughs> yeah, go for dinner, and, and awesome. then we're gonna. <laughs> and then we're going to share what's happened in our life. And hopefully we'll have both done more than we were doing. That's what we're doing now. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. This no is problem. awesome. Cool. Bye, guys.